Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up on a Thursday? We're going to grow as we go this afternoon. One of those days where we've got basketball going on. They they play these games as if like we're already at the holiday season, even though we're a week away from Thanksgiving. So Mississippi State just got done beating Tulane. Brian Haydad was not actually at the game. That was in uh, Conway, South Carolina, just outside of Myrtle Beach. But Mississippi State wins comfortably over Tulane. Haydad was watching it somewhere. He will be joining us here shortly. Richard Cross is uh, currently calling the Florida-St. Joe's game right now in Charleston. He will join us as soon as he can live from Charleston, uh, where he's calling, I forget what it's called, oh, just the Charleston Classic. Uh, So he'll be joining us here shortly as well. For right now on Sports Talk Mississippi, it's me, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey with you. And it is great to be with you on this Thursday afternoon for right now. And I think that's Hey Dad uh, getting into the studio. So Hey Dad's here. That is correct. This uh, this Florida-St. John's game, or St. Joe's, excuse me, that Richard's calling, looks like Florida's going to seal the deal. They're up six with 15 seconds to go. i got to ask him about this, because they have a flat counter on the St. Joe's mascot. It is a, I guess they're the Hawks? The mascot's yes. a hawk. Yeah, and right. the the guy in the mascot suit flaps his arms. And they either have some poor intern that is counting or they put like a Fitbit on his wrist to do a flap counter to see how many times during the course of the game the, the, the guy in the mascot suit will flap his arms to make it look like he's flying. With a minute and 26 seconds to go left in the game, 2,612 flaps from the St. Joe's mascot during the game. That that's a lot of flapping. There's no other way to put it. <laughs> that's how you get your arm workout in during the day, I guess. Get those gains. So hey, that Mississippi State beats Tulane. That's a Ron Hunter coach Tulane team. Uh, probably a little overmatched compared to t- uh, Mississippi State's talent, but a comfortable win's a comfortable win. And as we talked about yesterday in the SEC, sometimes they're not all that easy to come by. No, they're not, and this one was relatively easy to come by for Mississippi State, especially when you consider uh, the turnovers for, for for Mississippi State. Just that that has been State's biggest problem all season long, and it, and it reared its uh, its ugly head again today. Uh, State, I'm pulling the box score up if you can't tell by my my vamping. Uh, with 25 turnovers today, and still won Ooh. the game by 14, and, and never trailed in the game, uh, led by as many as 25. To, despite all that, uh, Reggie Perry, you know, he fouled out. Uh, with, I think, five and a half to go. Only played 21 minutes today in foul trouble, but had 18 points and five rebounds. Uh, Iverson Molinar, big game for the freshman, 21 points for him, five assists. Tyson Carter, 16 points, 11 rebounds, so a double-double for Tyson Carter. He also went over 1,000 points uh, for his career. State shoots 61% from the field, 81% from the line, 55% from behind the arc. 
if they don't turn the ball over 25 times, how bad do they win this game? 35, 40 points? I mean, they held uh, Tulane to 39% shooting. Um, just if they just take care of the ball, they'll be in great shape. And they're going to have to because now they've got a date with the number 15 team in the country, Villanova, coming uh, tomorrow. Well, that's kind of a calling card for Ron Hunter's team. It's a really good and kind of unique 1-3-1. Uh, they played Ole Miss a couple years ago, and they kind of had some yeah. of the same issues under Andy Kennedy. The guy been around yeah, a while. Yeah, runs that matchup zone, you know, and really aggressive zone defense. So that they can force a lot of turnovers. But if you watch the game today, which I know you probably didn't rip you, but I did, and the state was just sloppy with the ball at times. I, th- I think they knew they were better, and, and and so they played a little faster than they needed to. Uh, when you've got guys like Keyshawn Fazell, who you know had a pretty solid day off the bench for Mississippi State with five points, a couple of rebounds, but he had six turnovers in eighteen minutes. Um, Molinar five assists, but five turnovers of his own. State just state just needs to slow it down a little bit. Play in the half court just a touch more. That said, though, they can get out and run with just about anybody. They've got the athletes to do that. Do y'all know who Ron Hunter replaced at Tulane? Yeah, I feel like I should know this. I don't know, but he did a really really bad job. Yeah, I uh, I actually did, I figured this out a couple of years ago. I don't know how I stumbled upon it. NBA lifer Mike Dunleavy Senior. He went from coaching four NBA teams what? over a twenty year span to Tulane. Yeah, that's that's quite the drop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, didn't he did they lose their last like twenty or nineteen or twenty games they, last they season? They were win they were winless in Conference USA last year. It's much like he, Vanderbilt was. He posted a twenty four and sixty nine record in three years. Nice. Uh, and then this year, the starting lineup I think they they showed had four transfers in it. I mean that that that's a full rebuild for Ron Hunter. He was a good coach who, who might be able to turn it around, but it it, it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a quick thing. By any stretch of the imagination. That baffles me in college basketball basketball more than anything else. These, we can call them mid-majors. But like Kermit Davis is a good example. Ron Hunter. These guys that are nationally known as really, really good basketball coaches have objectively not good jobs. And Mm -hmm. then not good basketball coaches have objectively good jobs. How does that happen? Because in football, those guys get hired up quickly. Like, really fast. If you're good at the group of five level, you're getting a power five job really soon. Yeah. You've got dudes I mean, that are lifers at the mid-major level in college basketball. I think it's just like any other industry where sometimes you have to have some luck. Sometimes there's hiccups in a guy's career trajectory. Uh, Kermit Davis, obviously, the show cause deal, or in, you know the NCAA stuff at Texas A&M in 1990, and like... You know, I'm not saying that his fault, not his fault, whatever, but like that was a hiccup because he would have been in a major program way quicker, you know, spent a lot of time at Middle Tennessee and now he's at a major job. But I don't know. I think it's just kind of different for everybody. I mean, I mean, Ron Hunter spent how many years at IUPUI? Like 17? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing to consider is, you know, in NCAA basketball, there's a fair path to a national title for everyone. Everybody can play in the NCAA tournament, and you know and how far can you make it? That that that's one thing. But you you if you are a good mid major, you will play for a national championship. Whereas that's not true at the uh, the mid major level in, in college football. And so you have coaches who want to you know try to really advance their careers. But there are guys like Greg Marshall who who was just you know happy, consistently winning and and making deep runs at uh at Wichita State and then places like that. Speaking of that, if we have time this afternoon, we've got a ton, just a ton of content to get to you today, but uh, the AAC commissioner is very displeased about the college football playoff and how uh, his conference, SMU specifically, uh, or Cincinnati may get left out 
in favor of, oh gosh, who was it? Appalachian State uh, get left out of the potential uh, New Year's Six Bowls and just called it an unfair playing field and uh, really went after the College Football Playoff Selection Committee for having Power 5 bias. It's not Power 5 bias. Those are just That's where the best teams are. It, it's, it, it's not bias if it's true. Yeah, but I think it's more so a conference issue because, I mean, you've seen, like, if they were in a Power 5 conference, uh, t- those teams would probably get better talent and better play. I mean, you saw TCU's kind of the example of that, aren't they? Yes, and but at that same time, TCU is starting to fall. But we talked about that. Uh, you may not have been here, but we talked about that uh, the other day where they started to fall back now. So I, I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying. Don't don't get me wrong, but you know, this is sort of what I was just talking about. You know, in, in basketball, there's there's an easy path. In football, it doesn't exist. You can take On the basketball note. Uh, I mean, Brad Stevens is two two employers removed from a finance company. Like, just kind of yeah. happens <laughs> in different ways. Yeah, uh, that was a fun game last night too, Boston and. Uh... Uh, the Clippers with Kawhi back for the first time. That was a lot of fun. My NBA kid was crying. I was not planning on staying up, but you know my kid wouldn't sleep, so I stayed up and watched it. Celtics are really good. They need to make a trade, but they're really good. Well, they could have had Anthony Davis, but uh, they did not want to leverage future draft picks to get him. That's a shame. <laughs> We get a text from the 662 here, and you can do the same. Uh, 601-879-4395. That's the ceasefire text line. Please do not text and drive. Be a part of the show. Do so safely. Uh, asking us to comment on Houston Nutt's possible return to Arkansas. He was uh, most recently interviewed on a radio show uh, in Little Rock. You, When it's Arkansas week for Ole Miss and Mississippi State, we have Trey Schapp, who's with 103.7 The Buzz there in Little Rock, this station. Uh, Houston Nutt said that uh, people from Arkansas reached out to him about the coaching job. Do you believe that? And, and I'm, I, I doubt he's lying. That somebody from our somebody from Arkansas probably called him to discuss the open coaching position. But that to me doesn't sound like they're in. You know what I mean? It, there's a disconnect between yeah, I've talked to people at Arkansas about the head coaching position, and yeah, they called me because they're interested in hiring me. If what that makes saying- sense. What you're saying is you wouldn't be shocked at all is if somebody from Arkansas called Houston Nutt and was like, hey, what do you think about us going in this direction, this guy, or this guy, and then, you know, Nutt turning it into, oh, yeah, brother, they called me. Yep. That, that, that's that's where I'm going with that, yeah. Now, not that I'm trying to insult Houston Nutt's good name because I don't want to go to court, <laughs> but I'm just saying I, what, what Rippy said makes sense. Another text from a different 662 number. Why can't Division I do playoffs like two and three? Simple answer, too much money yeah, is involved money, with bowl games bowls. right now. Yeah, way too much money. That's, that's, that'll never happen. Couldn't you make those bowl games just other playoff games? Though? A- absolutely. That would ruin the regular season. God. Oh, jeez. The story of the day, though, is actually in the NFL. We'll get into it next. Miles Garrett and his appeal through a Hail Mary. And it, uh, it did not work. We'll tell you what he did, what he said, the reaction to it. All coming up next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Yeah, baby. All right, the story of the day. Miles Garrett, you remember last week, as basically the clock was winding out and the Browns win over the Steelers, ripped Mason Rudolph's helmet off and swung and hit him in the head with it leading to a suspension for the rest of the season and chaos that followed. Of course, like every suspension you get, he tried to appeal that suspension unsuccessfully 
tried to appeal that suspension. And during that appeal hearing, which happened yesterday, Miles Garrett alleged that Mason Rudolph, the Steelers quarterback, directed a racial slur at him just prior to the brawl on Thursday Night Football. Now, the Steelers replied with, uh, Mason Rudolph denies that it happened. Mason Rudolph's attorneys released a a pretty scathing uh, denial of that incident as well. But that is the the defense that Miles Garrett used in his appeal hearing yesterday was that a racial slur was directed towards him. So that report came out a couple hours ago, and then uh, perfect timing, media was in the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers locker room after their practice and were able to ask players on both sides if they heard that at all. Uh, A Browns defensive tackle said that uh, he was surprised that that was the reason given and that was the first he had ever heard uh, of that happening. Baker Mayfield, same thing. When he was asked, you could see see it in his face that he was surprised that 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 was what happened uh, and he had not heard of it himself. Uh, Steelers players uh, defended Mason Rudolph, said there's no way he did it. And then you get this from the NFL. Uh, This is from Adam Schefter. He says, NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy said the league looked into Miles Garrett's allegation that Mason Rudolph used a racial slur that caused the fight last week, and they found, quote, no such evidence. I don't know if we'll get video or not, but the thing about the NFL, especially in, in modern day, And Joe Thomas, the former Browns tackles, now a media guy, said that there are multiple players on every offensive line and always the quarterback that are mic'd up for every NFL game. You don't get to hear it on the broadcast, but there are guys on the offensive line and the quarterback every single NFL game that have microphones on them. So when Garrett made this claim, or when the report came out that Garrett made this claim, you knew that this was going to get figured out pretty quickly. The NFL upheld his suspension, so it remains as is, and actually reduced the suspension of Pouncey, who basically attacked Garrett for attacking his own quarterback. So all of that has happened uh, in just a couple of hours today. Guys, what are your reactions to everything? That's a that's a tough thing to lie about if Miles Garrett isn't telling the truth. That's the kind of thing that'll get you uh, that'll lose you a lot of respect. So if he's saying it, I, I you know, I tend to to think that if my first my first gut instinct is that he's there's there's some truth in it. But that said, I mean, what uh, Joe Thomas said is correct. These guys are mic'd up, so there there would be some audio of this if it happened. Why would I say this as soon as it happened? Yeah. No, you're right about that. And that's and, the question. That's the million-dollar question right there, Rippy. The mic'd up thing, though, like, when you watch the play, I get that all those guys are mic'd up, but there is a point where Garrett's on top of – I'm not saying it happened because I tend to believe that he's just kind of trying to throw a Hail Mary here, which makes him like, – I was telling Borky in the break, it makes me more un, or less likable than him just losing his mind in a split second in the helmet thing. Like, that was bad, but, like, you know, whatever. Guy loses his mind, bad moment. Like – Lying about this and trying to bring down someone else's, I guess, reputation and credibility as like a Hail Mary to appeal your suspension, to me, makes him less likable. But at the same time, the NFL says there's no evidence of it. Well, there is a point in time where this first started where it's just them two on the ground and no one else around. So, like, a mic wouldn't have picked it up if it happened, no? I mean, there's no one near them. I mean, there's apparently one in every quarterback. 
Every quarterback's mic'd up for every game? That's what he said. I'll pull up the uh, the exact tweet from Joe Thomas, and uh, let's see here. He said, the NFL has microphones on the center, sometimes the guards, and always the quarterback. Huh. Then, that's fair. I mean, like I said, I tend to believe it, it, he's just grasping for straws here and trying to find a Hail Mary. But I just figured, I didn't know that they were quarterback was mic'd up for a game. I just figured there would be an instance in time where this could have happened and no like no microphone would have picked it up cuz there were there there was like what two three second period where there's really no one around them except for them two and some nerd ref trying to break it up. Yeah, it was uh it was a late hit, but it wasn't exactly a hit. He uh, Garrett came around the edge, wrapped up Rudolph and they kind of wrestled for a second. He brought him to the ground and that's when Rudolph like started grabbing at Garrett and then that's what started it all. And it was just kind of them two in that moment. Well, I mean, my guess is though there will be some sort of invest further there, there's going to be some further investigation of this. There's not going to I don't think this we've heard the last of it. Uh and like I said, if it comes out that Garrett's not telling the truth, that's that's a bad look, and that's something that you're going to lose respect from your teammates when you do stuff like that, I would think, anyway. Yeah, and uh, the NFL upholding his, spen- his suspension um, kind of tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it? Because if this was – if there was still doubt in their mind, wouldn't they have just delayed the ruling on the appeal until they knew for sure? You don't uphold this suspension, release a statement saying there's no evidence unless you've exhausted all of your resources or you're, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there wasn't, right? Because you can just delay this until you're ready. You could have said, we're investigating the claim. Garrett will get the results of his appeal when the investigation's over, and everybody would have accepted that. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. So I don't know. It's hey, go ahead. I, I feel like you hate to see it has been memed so much that when people say this, it doesn't really work anymore. But you do hate to see this. You hate to see, you know, it was such a terrible, terrible incident. And now it just looks like it's going to get even dirtier and uglier. I don't know where it's going to end. Yeah. And they're keeping Pouncey. So they reduced his suspension, but he will not be playing. They play the Browns in two weeks. So that will still be within the, the time of his suspension. Obviously, no Miles Garrett on the field for that one. But uh, Rippy asked the question, and, and that's the right one, and uh, Occam's razor, you know, the simplest solution is likely the right one. Um, he did have a press conference after the game. Uh, he was able to, to speak to media. Yeah. Multiple statements were released from both sides, and none of it included this, just the, the waiting of almost a week and, and then knowing that everybody in the situation's mic'd up. It just... Uh, the simplest explanation is likely the right one, and it sounds like a last-second Hail Mary. You just you hope it's not true because weaponizing that thing is is also dangerous, and his reputation his reputation in the league will be tarnished for a long time. And that was generally a guy that a lot of people respected, right? He he was weird and had some like off the field quirks, a, a very unique guy, but played really good ball, and you didn't hear much about him. And now this. Yeah, but I don't know. With Garrett was always an odd guy. Like in college, he was dominant at times. He was injury prone, I thought. 
there were times where you watch him, you're like, wow, that guy's really great. And there were times you watch him. I remember him playing State a couple years in a row, and State just just got the better of him. So, Kim D T light. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I guess he and, liked. And, he was. He's Robert Kim If Robert cared about football. Yeah, I guess. I mean, something, something like that. And so, at least from their personalities. Now, Kim has had some other issues as well, but like how they. You know, Robert liked the saxophone. Miles Garrett's a poetry guy. They're just very unique people. There, there were times when, with with Garrett that you wondered, you know, how much does he really enjoy playing football? Because he he wasn't a guy that you know. Watching him in college, I thought that gave you know he was like I didn't I never would have used the term motor guy when it came to uh Robert to uh Miles Garrett. You can text the show 601-879-4395. The dirtiest action was the hit from behind, according to somebody from the 662. Michael in Poplarville says maybe the NFL should run him off for good. Uh, oh, that's, that's not going to happen. He's too good of a player. I mean, that, that's just, that, that will not happen. And it is one incident. Like, suspend right. the guy the rest of the year. That's a long thing. And just let it be done with. Like, Probably slap a me, fine on him if you conclude that this was made up. Yeah, it's to been, me, it's being sensationalized a little bit. Like, it was bad. That was a really bad look, bad incident. But, like, it's one instant. It's one instance. Like it happened. Whatever. Like, let him serve a long suspension. Make him pay a bunch of fines, and it'd be over with. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, they are. They're still reviewing video and recording. They say, but I mean, according to multiple former NFL linemen, now quarterbacks and linemen are mic'd up for every single game for internal use for the NFL. Apparently, according to Jeff Schwartz, it's mostly for the NFL Films people. But, yeah, they've got mics on them for every game. Uh, so, if this actually did happen, they'll be able to prove it. But it doesn't uh, sound like the evidence exists for now. We'll turn the page next. We'll talk a little hoops. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Speaking of the NFL... Pretty interesting Thursday night game tonight. Texans and Colts. We'll have John Harris with us tomorrow to uh, recap that and talk some other stuff around the league. But uh, what's your level of excitement for that one? Somewhere between tepid and none. We we can't get you excited about anything. I'm excited about things that I'm excited about. I missed the question. What was it? What's your excitement level for Thursday night football tonight? You going to watch? You interested? Oh, yeah, I'll watch. It'll be an interesting game because the Colts will really have a leg up if they find a way to win, and the Texans seem to invent new ways to lose despite having a generational talent at quarterback. It's fine. It's going to be a good game. It has meaning. But, I mean, is it appointment viewing for me? No, not at all. I'm telling you, with the NFL, I watch the Saints with interest, and then everything else is just sort of on. David's asking what the – I'm sorry, go go ahead. Go ahead. I was like, like this weekend, Cowboys Patriots might have my attention. Yeah, see, that might be appointment viewing. Yeah, and it's after the Saints game, so I don't have to worry about uh, overlap. There's so much on the line for that game. Oh yeah, I mean, I think okay, this is this is a little extreme, but I think Jason Garrett's job will be determined with the outcome on Sunday. Not like he'll get fired if they Ooh. lose, but. If they lose and they finish the season around 500, I don't think he comes back. Well, I mean, I agree with what you just said, 
they're, they're looking to take a step forward. But I don't think this game, I mean, they could lose this game and still go on a, on a winning streak towards the end. A loss will bring him to 6-5. and five. Remaining on the schedule, they host Buffalo. That'll be a prove-it game. Go to Chicago, have the Rams, which is not near as enticing as it could have been, and they go to Philly, which might be the division championship right there, and then they close at home with Washington. So some games that, that are winnable. This isn't a this isn't a must-win game, but it would be a very nice resume kind of game. Not that, not that they have, you know, chance to get an at-large or something, but, you know, oh, just yeah. to have it. Makes sense. Jason Garrett's next life will be fascinating to me because I don't know if he's a good coach or not, but he also puts up with stuff that no other head coach in the NFL has to put up with. Like his owner talking about coaching decisions on the radio every single day? Yeah, and you can't tell me he and, and his son don't necessarily get involved in personnel decisions and, honestly, probably some in-game strategy. And you got the weird Kellen Moore dynamic, like, where does he go next, and is he success or not? I'd probably lean that he probably doesn't have success, but if he does, it wouldn't shock me. Elsewhere in the NFL, we mentioned it briefly yesterday. Still just a pretty good weekend. So uh, if you have a honeydew list on Saturday, which most everybody will, myself included, because the college football is so bad, you have a pretty good slate coming up on uh, on Sunday, at least this week in the NFL, where ratings are are through the roof. I saw earlier, and we'll talk about this a little bit later because there might be a huge payday coming and very soon for Ole Miss and Mississippi State as well as everybody else in the SEC. The new CBS deal is being renegotiated as we speak in a way. Uh, CBS wants that thing to be done by the end of this football season. That will not happen because the amount of players that are going to get in this thing to get a new deal, Fox, DAZN, which is the former president of ESPN's new company, uh, NBC maybe even come in on this. Disney, obviously, with ABC and their platforms. Uh, people project that that deal will be worth about $300 million. Right now, it's worth just fifty-five. So big-time money potentially coming for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. That's coming a little bit later. Um, I want to talk about this, especially before Richard gets here, because I know he'll shut this conversation down some. We mentioned at the top of the show there was a great game in the NBA last night. Boston and the Clippers, who were at full strength for the first time. L.A. won late. Really good game, back and forth. Stars all over the court. Yeah, Jason Tatum. Great home, and, atmosphere. Great home atmosphere for the Celtics in Los Angeles. That was wild, wasn't it? Yeah, it makes you wonder whose town that really is. Rippy, did you hear that? I did. To be fair, though, the Clippers have had a lot better atmosphere at their games in years past, like even through the Lob City stuff. Like, it actually feels alive. The NBA is having a ratings issue. Worse by percentage than the NFL did a couple of years ago. And I remember that was a big talking point. We talked about it on this show a lot. And a lot of you uh, had your reasons for why you stopped watching the NFL. They have completely rectified that situation. They are up across the board. The NBA is now the sports league with a big ratings decline. We're talking 20% in some places. Not a very good start to the season. There's a lot of reasons for that. I think one of them is, even if it's a tiny fraction... This deal with China this summer, uh, the woke political stuff that you got through all of that, that hurts in some capacity. But I think more of it is the devaluing of the regular season, where load management is becoming an increasingly popular thing in the league. The league's current best player, arguably Kawhi Leonard, sits out games just because. And it worked. It won them a title. So the regular season doesn't exactly matter anymore. 
the conversation is dominated with free agency and just the LA teams, there's not a whole lot grabbing you and bringing you into the NBA right now. And the league is trying to fix it by shortening the regular season, or at least according to the New York Post, sources within the NBA say that that's a discussion they're willing to have to start the season around Thanksgiving or maybe even into Christmas to get away from football and kind of have their own thing. So that was a lot to get to, but what do you guys think about, one, the league's ratings decline right now and why that's happening and shortening the season to fix it? I don't. I'm a big fan of the shortening the season thing, and that, that seems like a, a thing that always comes up. And they talk about in baseball, you know, the only place where they don't talk about really is football. And it's something that you're, it's going to be difficult to sell owners on because that's ten whatever dates that you're not going to get at home now, or however many games that you're going to lose ticket sales and you know concessions and and everything else. But that said, you know, this is not the. Nobody's looking at the NBA right now outside of, you know, people checking in on the Lakers and the Clippers, maybe the Celtics a little bit. Um, I think that I also think one of the other things, the the ratings are down. Zion's injury has hurt a little bit there because I think, you know, you think about opening night, it was supposed to be Zion Williamson's big debut and he hasn't played yet. And then the Warriors have had some primetime games and the Warriors are like a really bad college team at this point. They're just they're, the injuries and, and, and people leaving have just decimated them. So you've got some games in prime time that nobody wants to watch. I mean, last night was the Mavericks and the Warriors. I think the Mavericks won by like 40. Who, who, nobody's watching that. Rippy? Yeah, I think hey, that hit on it. Some is like the like the Pelicans have had a lot of primetime games. Same with the Warriors, and those teams are drastically different than what you thought they were going to be on opening night. One, well, like for people who like basketball, it's been a great regular season. Like I'm not disputing it because the numbers are down, but like like Luka Doncic is probably the greatest 20 year old basketball player ever. Like if you look at LeBron's numbers at 20 and Luka's numbers at 20, Luka kills him. Every like every statistical category, so like there are like for people who like it, like like basketball, like regular season NBA, it's been a good season for the most part. But ratings that probably has to do with it being so LA centric. It's still being football season, having some bad injury luck with you know Aaron Baines falling on Steph Curry's hand and the Warriors being a disaster and Zion not playing, and. At the same time, I wonder how much the NBA cares because it's such a playoff-driven league anyway. Like, how big of an issue is this for them anyway? Because once the playoffs come around and you have all these different storylines and subplots, it's going to be awesome once again. So I, I just wonder... Well, the, like, the question is because last year's were down. But that was chalked... In the years before, I don't think we're very good either. But people have been chalking that up to status quo. That you knew it was going to be LeBron versus... The Warriors. And it was like a predetermined outcome. And so people started tuning out because of that. But now that it's spilled over into the regular season, that's what's leading to the questions. Yeah, but like, the, do do numbers ever, like TV ratings ever reflect that par- people actually like parody? Because like Coward, like Coward sits on this take insufferably talking about how dynasties actually increase ratings. So while that may be the case, like, don't you think if the Warriors were full-strength Warriors right now, like, it'd be up more than it is right now? I'm just curious. Without a doubt. Know. And that's a good question. Yeah. You would think that – because college football's lost parity. I mean, see, the regular season's kind of boring. There's only seven teams that can win the national title, at least based on their talent and ability to do so. 
we had Alabama in yet another SEC championship, and they broke viewership records. Also, after Christmas, what does this look like? Yeah. I don't agree the regular season in college football is boring. It's bored me to death this year. You got it. You got it. There are just fan bases that need to suck it up and go, okay, can I enjoy the season without knowing my team can't win a national title? If you can do that, and and you, you should be able to, then there's nothing wrong with college football. I think the obvious solution here is they need another malice in the palace. Someone take one for the team. Just get Draymond to run up in the stands and start going nuts. Yeah, the Warriors season. No, no shot, not Draymond. They? The Warriors can't take another hit. Pick another team. <laughs> They're an expansion team now. Come on. Speak- if they're still way down after Christmas, it'll be, I think, a more interesting like subplot to follow. Yeah. They're in, that dynasty's not over, by the way, because they will get oh, everybody gets back, yeah. a healthy Clay Thompson and a healthy Steph Curry, and they'll still have D'Angelo Russell. And, oh, by the way, they'll get a lottery pick this year. James Wiseman, come on down. Ooh. We'll look at uh, some SEC hoops. Some interesting stuff happened around the league last night, including a really, really bad beat. We'll tell you what it is coming up next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Welcome back to Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borky. you got Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey with you. Richard Cross will be joining us here in just a few minutes. He was calling the Florida and St. Joe's game for ESPN. He'll join us live from Charleston here in a little bit. First, I want to get to this text, though, from the 601. The only reason this season isn't a total waste of time was LSU's games versus Florida and Alabama. I guess you can throw in there Ohio State-Wisconsin. That was supposed to be a big game. But I'm I'm with this texture more than I am with Haydad. I think it extends beyond dissatisfied fans. Just as a college football fan, as somebody that enjoys the sport in general. I mean, look at this past weekend – the story of last weekend, aside from somebody getting hurt, I'm talking about action on the field, was LSU had a close call in a 21-point win. Clemson won by 50 over the best team on their schedule. Georgia had a 21-point lead on the road with their toughest test since their loss to South Carolina. There has been so few notable weekends at the top with meaningful games, with build-up, and all of the stuff that you love about college football, there's been very little upsets as well. I mean, Kansas State over Oklahoma, and I, I mean, Minnesota, Penn State, and then Georgia, South Carolina, but really, it's gone to chalk. And again, this weekend, I mean, we are at the second to last weekend of college football, there is one game between top 25 teams this weekend, and it's a three-touchdown spread. The ratings are still good, so obviously this isn't bad for college football. I'm kind of bored with it, though. Well, should you expect much you, different? Do you want to? Like, should you expect much different, though, from a sport that like fundamentally has a uneven playing field? Like... That's what I'm saying. I just watch the games. The games are enjoyable to me. I enjoy watching football. I'm 601. Even the... Uh, that text is not loading for me now. So I'll go to, uh, to the 662. Uh, the college football playoff has ruined the sport. Save Same five teams every year. 
Oh, and you would break it to you. The BCS computers didn't do much else either. Yeah, and yeah. You, I mean you'd probably get going the same be, thing with. And the, you're you're probably going to get LSU's going to get in there this year over Alabama, and then Oregon could get in there. You could have two. Well, Oregon's been was in the first one, but I mean it's not like they're you know this every year dominant player. College football playoffs first year was 2014. So far, you have had Alabama, Ohio State. Oklahoma, Georgia, Oregon, Michigan State, Clemson. That's seven. Washington. Washington. That's eight. Yeah. Is that it? There's only been eight teams in the college football playoff. Wasn't FSU in one? Florida State was in the first one. They were, because that's when Jameis threw the football backwards. Threw the crazy pass, yeah. <laughs> so when you have nine teams in a four-team playoff for a half decade or longer, that's not great. Five years. Nine teams have made the playoff in five years. It, it, people aren't tuning out, though. People just are not tuning out. Even the Georgia loss to South Carolina was hard to watch. The storyline that would have been made this season would have been Tua versus Hurts. In a playoff game, you still have a kind of a similar dynamic with Joe Burrow in Ohio State. Transferred away from Ohio State, goes to LSU, facing his old team would be a pretty sweet storyline. The play, the quality of get, play in the playoffs have been great. Couldn't you get Hurts Tua in? Ah, oh, no, never mind. That was yep, no Tua brain cramp there. Yeah, no Tua. You could get Alabama, Oklahoma still. Jerry and Brookhaven says, except for the Saints and the Cowboys, I still prefer college over the NFL. Yeah, there are, and you're going to get that. Um, I like the NFL generally more than I do college. If it's just a random game, you can watch uh, the Titans and the L.A. Chargers or Nebraska and Iowa. I'm watching the NFL game. That's that's just me. But there are people that enjoy college football. There's a little bit more, what, what would you call it? Uh, sloppiness, I guess. You have more mistakes in college football. You have more unexpected game-swinging plays than you do in the NFL. It's just a more buttoned-up league, a more uniform style of, of football. Yeah, I'm Not, just looking. I'm looking. I'm looking back through some old polls here, just trying to see how Notre Dame. It would there's have ten, been. so ten have been. Notre Dame went. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking. No, I'm talking about like if the if the college football playoff had, event had existed, you know. Ten years ago, how different would it have been? I don't think it would have been that different. Alabama's been good for better part of a decade. Auburn would have gotten in there a couple of times. In Miami, well, that's well, I mean, more than not, a decade, not a decade ago. ago. Yeah, you're talking twenty some odd years ago. You know, if you go back a little further, USC would have been in there a bunch of times. There hasn't been a new national champion since 1996. College football, the, the top tier, just sort of is what it is at this point. From the 662, different strokes, I guess. College football regular season and SEC play is more interesting than the NFL. The SEC's the worst of it. You've been dominated people, by people it. People just like watching their team play. That's what it is. That's what that is. I think we'll get it's Richard back here. We will uh we'll let you know next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Uh yeah, this is Richard. Hey, hey Dad. Oh, How are okay. you, man? Yeah. I didn't know who this was. Yeah, hey, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, little hoops in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, was uh, on the call for a couple of fun games. Miami beat Missouri State by four. 
after leading by 18 and Missouri State cutting the lead to two. Florida had an 18-point lead against St. Joe's. St. Joe's cut it to two, and then Florida won by eight at the end, and uh, we had an ejection in that game as well. Kerry Blackshear, who is the preseason SEC player of the year, was averaging like 14.5 points and 11 rebounds a game uh, with about oh, about 15 minutes to go in the game. Uh, throws an elbow after a defensive rebound, gets popped with a flagrant two, and uh, gets sent to the showers in, in that ball game. But it was wins for both of those teams. And so you got Miami and Florida playing each other tomorrow. I know what you guys were watching Mississippi State earlier. Good win for Mississippi State against Tulane. We've talked about that one for a while. Setting up a really big opportunity for Mississippi State tomorrow against a Villanova team that I think's ranked 17th in the country right now. State played pretty well today, at least it seemed like it from what I looked at. Yeah, yeah, like like we said earlier, just the, the turnover bug continues to bother them. Twenty five turnovers today. Uh, that is that's way way too many for anybody. Uh, if you play, turn the ball over twenty five times on Jay Jay Wright's team, uh, you could be on the the back end of a very very bad loss. So state will need to clean that up before uh, tomorrow's game. Borky, we had what five or six SEC games last night, and Georgia got a win against Georgia Tech. Your Pearl River Resort pick of the day yesterday was Georgia minus five and a half. It looked great right up until Georgia Tech hit an inconsequential half-court shot at the buzzer to make it a four-point game. Bad beat. See, that just shouldn't count. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, try and convince the folks in Vegas of that. Tennessee beat Alabama State last night 76-41. to Kind of a workman-like performance there. Missouri by 18 over Moorhead State. Texas A&M beat Troy by 4, 56-52. And then Vanderbilt against Austin Peay. 90-72 92-72 was the final. So Vandy wins it by 18. So what happened at the end? Sergio Rocco, who was an assistant on Andy Kennedy's staff at Ole Miss, is now an assistant at Austin P. And he and Jerry Stackhouse kind of got into it postgame? Yeah, they did in the handshake line of all things. So a Vanderbilt player had an inconsequential late-game dunk. One of those things that, I mean, you don't tell your players to do that. Uh, I mean, clock was going out. They had the game in hand. And in the handshake line, I'll uh, I'll find the video and send it to you so you can better explain it. But uh, Sergio did not like that that happened. And in the handshake line, he and Jerry Stackhouse, you can tell that it's a angry Ooh. man conversation. And Stackhouse is trying to pull his hand away from Sergio's, and Sergio will not let go. And Stackhouse pats him on the shoulder, aggressively pats him on the shoulder twice, still won't let go. Finally, Stackhouse rips his hand out of the grip of Sergio's and says, you coach your players, I'll coach mine. In the postgame handshake. Stackhouse says in the postgame press conference, it wasn't even the head coach. Matt Figger, Austin Peay's head coach, didn't say nothing, he says. He said it was somebody else. And somebody was uh, Sergio Rocco, and uh, Sergio didn't like it at all. <laughs> it's aggressive. That's pretty, that's pretty good, pretty aggressive. So Vanderbilt uh, Vanderbilt gets the win uh, last night. You got a bunch of basketball all over the place. If you are a college basketball fan, this is a fun time of the year. So Feast Week starts on ESPN or started today. Uh, you've got the tournament in Charleston, where I am. You've got the tournament down the road in 
uh, Myrtle Beach, that's where Mississippi State's playing. A couple of games tonight at Madison Square Garden, including Duke and Cal. Uh, Texas is playing uh, – I can't remember who they're playing in the uh, the first game. But this is a fun time because basically from now until the Saturday after Thanksgiving, every time you turn your television on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, if there's not a college football game on, there's a college basketball game on from about 10 in the morning until pretty late at night. Yeah, but we got football today. Which, hey, Richard, you'll never guess. Uh, hey, Dad's not really excited about watching uh, Colts-Texans tonight. Why not? Yeah, I, I'm just not super excited for it. Are you going to watch basketball just, tonight? Uh, I don't know what I'll watch. I've got, I got a podcast to do tonight. That's my, my main concern. Okay. Well, I mean, that takes an hour of your night, maybe an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably turn on the NFL game. But okay. see, that's the thing. There's a difference between are you going to watch and are you excited for? Yeah, I guess I, so. I don't really care who wins the Texans-Colts game. I have no investment in it whatsoever, but I'll watch. Rippy, what's your viewing lineup tonight? The football game. Okay. Are you bouncing back and forth between that and a bunch of college basketball or no, just sticking with football? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I don't always drive the remote at my house. Fair enough. Um, more interested because I, I caught the tail end of the, the last hour. If you're just a college football fan, are you more likely to watch the game tonight between NC State and Georgia Tech? Or are you watching Colts Patriots? Or, excuse me, uh, Colts Texans? I'm a flipper on that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at both. You're going to get some juice points for uh, for watching Georgia Tech play? I might. I might. I, I I am one of the I am probably the only person on this show that actually has juice points on his tally. I have some. Watching yeah, what, what? NC State and Georgia Tech tonight should be a prison sentence. Like instead of if you pick up somebody, if you're a police officer listening to this and you got a guy that's uh like public in, in, in talks or something like that, like not a serious crime, but guy that needs to spend a night in the slammer. Just put him in front of a TV and make him watch NC State Georgia Tech. That is more punishment than hanging out in a dirty jail cell for the night. And remind him that former Ole Miss head coach Dave Doran is roaming the sidelines. <laughs> wow. Uh, a four and six NC State team at a two and eight Georgia Tech team uh, coming up tonight. Two college games last night. Miami of Ohio, who was what, like a 30 point favorite against Akron? Hangs on for dear life and wins by a field goal, twenty to seventeen. And Buffalo, no trouble with Toledo, forty-nine to thirty. I know these Maction games on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights are supposed to draw a lot of interest. I tried to watch some of that last night, and you guys know I love college football. Kind of a college football junkie, just not real compelling stuff. I mean, it's hard guy, to get really roped in. The Akron guy looks like the Friday Night Lights TV show coach. Who is the head coach at Akron now? Uh, Tom Arth. So it's not Tommy, uh, or it's not Terry Bowden anymore. He looks just like him. Told you. I picked on up that last night. Um, he's he's gained a little bit of weight. He's too skinny, but he looks just like him. Yeah, that, I have no idea who Mr. Really Arth crazy. is outside of that. But yeah, he does look spitting like him. Image. He, was at, he was at Tennessee Chattanooga before this, evidently. What was the coach's name on Friday Night Lights? Coach Taylor, Eric Taylor. There you go, Coach Taylor. 
That is Texas as they uh, as they come. Um, we get another vote of confidence announcement today, and I think this one makes sense. I think the athletics director at Missouri was asked about Barry Odom, or maybe he just decided it was time to release a statement. Here's what he said. Coach Odom, his staff, and student-athletes have worked incredibly hard since beginning their journey together back in January, and I know they're disappointed in their on-field performance over the last four games after a 5-1 and one start vaulted Mizzou into the AP Top 25. It's important to note that in the AP poll era, only two Mizzou coaches, Dan Devine and Warren Powers, have won more games in their first four seasons in Columbia than Coach Odom. He has not allowed the still unknown outcome of Mizzou's NCAA appeal, appeal or key injuries stop him, the staff, or players from continuing to build a positive locker room culture within our program, which includes record-setting academic success the past two semesters, and I remain supportive of his efforts. I look forward to the Tigers becoming bowl eligible for the third straight year, something Mizzou hasn't accomplished in nearly a decade, and sending our 18 seniors out on a high note in our final two regular season games. Is this a good statement from Jim Sturk at Missouri? It's better than the South Carolina athletic director's statement. I'm just surprised that this it has to be made. I mean, that was a whole lot of AD speak. But is Barry Odom really in trouble in a bowl ban year? I mean, it, it just I'm surprised that this was even something that had to be done. Because he was asked about it. This wasn't unprompted like South Carolina. This is a question asked of him. We may spend a little more time on this later in the uh, in the show this afternoon. The culture of fans and maybe even media wanting guys fired almost immediately. Up next, Farm Bureau phone line, Lee Sterling for Paramount Sports. Guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Time for our weekly chat with our buddy from Paramount Sports, Lee Sterling. Lee, you guys have been rocking and rolling over the last couple of weeks. What's up, my man? We're rocking and rolling, and then you're busy. I mean, so are you going to be doing games every day? Uh, I had two today. I have two tomorrow. Saturday is a dark day here, and then two on Sunday. So, yeah, six okay. games in four days. Right. Not a bad place to be sent either, right? This is my first trip to Charleston, South Carolina, and I really like this city. Good spot. Yeah. Great place. And uh, so will you do the Miami game tomorrow? Yes. Got uh, okay. Miami and Florida at noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central tomorrow. Right. So that's going to be a I'm fun looking one. Looking forward to a big time, a season ticket holder, and and the high scorer. Was he the high scorer, or did did uh, yes. Magusi have more? No, no, no. DJ uh, Vasilovic uh, ended up with twenty five points, which was a new yeah. career high for him, and uh, played yeah. really well. Yeah. So his uh, his his girlfriend and my daughter run the cheerleading squad together. Very good friends. So he's been over the house many times uh, watching football <laughs> when he and. When his when his girlfriend and uh, twenty other cheerleaders are there watching the ball games, there you go. That sounds like we, a, we, uh, we a, sit, a rough life you're in, living. 
we sit in one room and they're all in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly certainly get that. Hey, let's dive in and talk about some yep. of the games this weekend. Uh, certainly a big one in the Big Ten. Ohio State's been so impressive sitting at number two in the college football playoff poll. Right. Penn State had the loss a couple of weeks ago. Ohio State, big favorite in this, 18-and-a-half. Is that too many points? I think it might be, Richard. And here's why. You know, I, I've watched college football for 50 years, and every team is going to be tested. They're going to have at least one game where it comes down to, you know, one possession, one call, one great play that's going to make a difference in the game. And I think Penn State is one of those teams that can really test Ohio State. Now, why do I say that they've got guys – that are big-time players. And on offense, they've, even though Sean Clifford had one bad game against Minnesota where he threw three interceptions, other than that, he's thrown 22 in, uh, touchdowns and just three interceptions. He's got two receivers in K.J. Hamler and Johan Dotson. These two guys have combined for 11 touchdowns. They're averaging 17 and 18 yards of reception. And once they get into the red zone, they have a tight end, Pat Frymouth. This kid, seven touchdowns, I think one of the top three tight ends in the country. People look at James Franklin's record one and four straight up versus Ohio State, but he is four and one against the spread here. And I think Penn State's going to disguise their coverages on defense and might be able to keep Justin Fields off balance a little bit. And how about this stat? Ohio State, 0 and 9, the game before Michigan, make it 0 and 10. Ohio State hangs on 34 27. So 34-27, touchdown win for Ohio State, which is not nearly enough to cover the 18-and-a-half-point number. Georgia is certainly in the driver's seat. They've already clinched their spot for the SEC championship game, and the scenario going forward is pretty simple for Georgia. Just keep winning, and if you win them all the rest of the way, you're going to be in the college football playoff. They are a 13-and-a-half-point favorite, a murderer's row finish for Texas A&M on the road at Georgia and then on the road against LSU. Not a desirable way to finish if you're an Aggies fan. 13-and-a-half, too big or just about right for Georgia? You know, I think it's too big. And, and, and why do I say that? You know, Georgia, I think that game took something out of them playing Auburn. I mean, physical game, and they had to play 60 minutes to hold on. A&M, it feels like they've almost been on like a bye for a month until the game last week. And the first half they played okay. The second half they dominated South Carolina. That game goes another quarter. It wouldn't have been thirty to six. It might have been fifty-one to six. So I just think that uh, Jimbo Fisher is going to dial up a really good game plan. He is one of the top signal callers in the country when he's motivated. And A and M, you know, they hung tough at Clemson earlier. Only lost twenty-four ten. And their quarterback Kellen Mond. Thrown for 18 touchdowns. He's run for 400 yards here. And something they do better than a lot of other teams. And Georgia's wins over the other quality opponents, Florida and Auburn. The Aggies do something different. Three, They average three or four more first downs per game and four or five more minutes of time of possession. I think A&M's going to hang in here. I have Georgia winning 24-20, but uh, I think all my money's here on A&M. Wow, only a yep. four-point win for Georgia, 24-20 at home against Texas A&M. Missouri, well, they've got to find a win in the last two weeks against uh, Tennessee, what, and then they'll finish it out with Arkansas. Probably will be able to do that. Don't know if they'll win both of them. Do they get Tennessee by more than four on Saturday, or does Tennessee possibly come in, pull the on-paper upset, and gain bowl eligibility? 
Well, I, I don't know if we've seen this year in college football two teams that are just going in completely different directions here. So Missouri, you thought they'd come home last week. They'd be ready to play Florida. they get their quarterback, Kelly Bryant, back. But you know, they were just dominated in that game. Kelly Bryant does not look right. Just doesn't have that explosiveness he had early in the season, even throwing the football. I think they got a lot of guys really banged up here. And Tennessee, all of a sudden, how about they're improving on their numbers on defense? They're now ranked 26th against the pass, 61st against the run, and uh, just 20 points allowed in the last two games. And Jared Gartano, I mean, the last uh, three games, five touchdowns, one interception here. I like Tennessee. I think the wrong team's favored. I've been winning the game 27-24. So 27-24, that would make Tennessee bowl eligible with one game remaining in the season against Vanderbilt. There is a scenario where Tennessee gets to 7-5 and five after a 1-4 and four start to the year. Uh, let's, uh, let's bounce over to the Big 12 for a second. Oklahoma, big favorite against TCU. They have the monumental comeback last week, and they're able to win and give Baylor its first loss. Oklahoma has had its issues on defense, although the defense looked really, really good in the second half of that game against Baylor. 18-point favorite? What do you think on this one? So you got to take this into account. It's senior day. It's senior day for a lot of these kids to get psyched up. Some of their parents and friends you know, can't make the trip all the time. They usually make it for senior day. And the TCU will be without their best defensive back. I mean, he's really good, Jeff Gladney, for the first half for a targeting call. So you need all hands on deck to stop Oklahoma. You know, they're guarding the condition of C.D. Lamb. We don't know uh, if if he's going to be able to play or not. Uh, held that out until close to game time last week. But you saw how everyone else stepped up here. And to beat, you know, OU, and OU is vulnerable, you got to have the weapons to exploit that vulnerability. I just don't think TCU has it on offense. And here's a true barometer of what they've done. When TCU's good, they are really good. I mean, they get turnovers. They don't get penalized. They're now 11-24 and against the spread. Last 12, big 12 games here since the beginning of 2017. I like Oklahoma. They pull away late, 52-31. Ooh, 52-31. So that Oklahoma offense doesn't have any trouble with TCU tomorrow. What's going on at the site? ParamountSports.com. You got a deal to offer anybody? Sure. How about this? Normally it's 197. We have a big game. Two weeks ago we had our biggest play of the year, Illinois. 50-unit play plus two touchdowns. They went out right last week. Georgia's a 40-unit play. Day one they were leading 1.21-0. First time ever, three straight 40-plus unit releases, three straight weeks. So we are rolling now. Went 9-2 and two last week. Uh, a couple weeks ago, 8-2. and two. So just piling up the wins. Normally it's 197 for these 40 plus unit releases by themselves. I'm going to release the game plus my top four plays, just $97. So want to want to get everyone in on it and start winning. So just go to ParamountSports.com when you purchase it. Inst, uh, window pops open. It's an instant download, so you don't have to call back tomorrow or Saturday. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a, a fun weekend. Uh, we don't have these. Sometimes we'll have eight, nine games on a on a Saturday, just zeroed in on five biggies. So they want to get it, ParamountSports.com, or call 800-400-9741. And you've always got a free game to give away, right? Your game of the week? Yeah, yeah, they can. Yeah, they got a free game this week, LSU and Arkansas. I know it's a high line, but you want to find out if LSU rolls, uh, just call us here, or can Arkansas keep it close? And always like to throw out a game that no one is looking at. And uh, 
might shock some people. So I'm going to give them a game here. And, and and it's two teams you think that are very evenly matched. It's Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh. Uh, Virginia Tech's a four-point favorite at home. I think the better team, when you have a line, usually on a total about 50 or less, generally you go with the defensive team. I like Pittsburgh plus the four points. I haven't won in the game outright. That has been a hard team to figure out throughout the uh, course of the year under uh, Pat Narduzzi. So you like Pittsburgh, kind of an off-the-radar game, uh, getting four points in that ball game. Lee, yep. always enjoy it, man. Enjoy the okay. weekend. Good Thanks, luck Richard. to you. Enjoy your weekend, all right, and go Canes. <laughs> that is Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. Check out the website, ParamountSports.com. A bunch of breakdown videos on there. He said that he likes Penn State to cover the 18-and-a-half against Ohio State, likes A&M to cover the 13-and-a-half against Georgia, likes Tennessee to win outright against Missouri, and likes Oklahoma as a big favorite against TCU. Lee Sterling on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. More with you after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Um, We've talked a little, maybe even a lot, about the future of the 2.30 Saturday afternoon game involving SEC teams, the CBS game. John Talty at AL.com had an interesting story about some of what was going on there. I don't know that there's a lot here that's groundbreaking if you've kind of been listening to um, to what we've talked about and some of what we've given to you. But here's some of the highlights. Alabama-LSU this year, highest-rated college football game in the regular season since 2011 with a peak audience of 20 million viewers. CBS has said publicly that it wants to extend the deal with the SEC. Privately, they have stated that they would like to get the deal done before the end of 2019. That is this year. They are currently paying $55 million a year. There are a lot of people that cover sports media that have told you including us, that it is the best and the most undervalued deal in all of broadcast television. So how about this? This quote is is kind of fascinating. One key factor is how CBS and the SEC each interpret the current contract, which was agreed upon in 2008. Within the contract is a provision that states, quote, CBS would have the right of first negotiation slash first refusal for at least the same terms for a term commencing in 2024-2025 and beyond for football and basketball. Those terms include selection priority, game time, and exclusivity, among other factors. A confidential memo obtained by AL.com addressed to the SEC's presidents and chancellors Greg Sankey pushed back on the legality of that specific provision. He says, quote, We believe that we have a good faith obligation to offer to enter into an exclusive negotiation period with CBS. 
but do not believe that CBS has any first refusal rights for reasons that can best be addressed by our legal counsel. Let's press pause there for a second before we get to some other stuff in the story. Does any of that mean anything to you? Does that does that stand out? Anything? Yeah. I, I, I mean, doesn't it tell you that it is going to be the biggest rights deal in college sports history? Because Fox's is worth $240 million. That includes basketball. But if you're taking away CBS's exclusive, exclusivity uh, to control the negotiations to where it will be an open field day, and I saw something recently that the top 10 most watched anything on television this year for women is all live football. For women, the top 10 most watched anything this year is football. So the only thing that's valuable anymore in TV is sports. If you take away CBS's power, the numbers is going to continue to rise, which means Ole Miss and Mississippi State will get a much bigger payout every year than they do right now. That's the whole point of this conversation and why it's important is we're getting more money here. Yeah, and and I think, you know, it's hard for me to believe that this ends up in some sort of litigation, but the the fact because there's been a good relationship between the SEC and CBS. But the fact that CBS looks at the contract in one way and the SEC looks at the contract in a different way tells you that this could be a relationship that goes south a little bit, but the bottom line is Greg Sankey owes it to the 14-member schools in the SEC to get the most money that they can possibly get. The SEC has brought on two agencies, mostly under the IMG umbrella, to negotiate this deal going forward. The SEC, despite how good the relationship is and despite how much Mike Slive in years gone by believed that that standalone window on CBS, on broadcast television, was incredibly important, the game has changed a little bit, maybe a lot since that time. And this is about money, period. CBS has got to be able to look at this thing, hey, Dad, and go, you know what? We really want to keep this. And we have been underpaying for a decade. So we're now ready to pay market value and do a 250 or $300 million deal per year. Or they've got to be willing to walk away, right? Yeah, there's no middle ground. They're not going to be able to get it for a, a good value. They're either going to pay. They're, they're probably going to end up having to overpay because there's going to be multiple bidders. Or they just have to say from the start, not interested. We're not going to spend $300 million on this. I tend to fall on the idea they'll at least make a run at it. Uh, but in a world of deep pockets, nobody's deeper than Disney. So I won't be completely shocked when ABC is uh, the home of the SEC game of the week in a few years. You know, I, I, I don't, I mean, CBS is just not as big an outfit. They, they don't have right. the same financial resources that ESPN, ABC, which is, again, Mickey Mouse has and Disney under Bob Iger's leadership has been gobbling stuff up left and right they just launched Disney plus they are more interested than they they have ever been 
in streaming options and making this available uh, to to you know the masses via streaming. I think they would love the idea of getting more marquee basketball games. I mean, yeah, CBS is able to come in and cherry pick two or three Kentucky games that they play on a Saturday and a Florida game on a Saturday, you know, whatever the marquee basketball games are. They had Mississippi State Ole Miss on CBS last year in that noon time slot. And so I think ESPN would love to get those back as well. We talked about this some yesterday. I mean, the, the, the deal is if this thing goes to $250 million, and there's a net $200 million difference, and you divide that out among thirteen or among 15 shares, so one for the league and 14 schools, you're talking about an additional $13 million, and then, you know, for every bump that it gets, if it turns out to be a $300 million contract, you're talking about just massive money for all the schools. Here's, the, to me, where this is so interesting at a local level, though. A really big TV contract is good for everybody. But the effect that an additional 13 to $17 million has to the budget is more important at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, where the budgets are a little bit north of $100 million, which is crazy to think. That means more than it does to Texas A&M, who has a $200 million budget. $17 million to somebody that has $100 million means more than $17 million to somebody who's got twice that. Or to LSU with an $180 million budget, or Georgia with $185 million. Does that make sense? We're just talking about percentage of overall income. It means right. more, not to co-opt that statement from the Let's SEC. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See what I did there? I did. Um, no, I mean, when you're, when you're talking about Good grief. 20% of your budget being added onto the top of your current number, 15%, whatever that number is exactly, it matters more than when it's 7%. What should they do with it? I, I'm glad you asked that, Borky, because I was asked about to ask that same question. So if you're Ole Miss in Mississippi State, let's just keep it very local. If I tell you, you've got a $15 million budget increase coming in, oh, I don't know, three years. And and you get to plan for what to do. What are you doing with that budget? How, how, how can that additional revenue be spent most effectively? So, hey, Dad, what do, you, what do you think the answer is at Mississippi State? Rippy, what do you think the answer is at Ole Miss? How can they most effectively spend an additional $15 million because it's not MSU. buying out coaching contracts. Right. MSU currently has the lowest recruiting budget of any school in the SEC, and it's actually gone down in the last four or five years. They they could, they could would be wise to pour some money into that for sure. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, you got to look long-term. Say a five-year deal, you're going to bring in an extra of 75 to $100 million. Need to There's a new basketball up. arena. Well, there's that, and you need to spruce up the east side of the stadium at Davis Wade. There, there's some there's some big facility upgrades that need to happen. Rippy, what about at Ole Miss? Yeah, same thing. Just keep up with the facilities, arms race, and football. It, it feels like once Ole Miss kind of gets its feet back under itself financially after going through the two years of the reduced TV revenue, bowl revenue, 
and having to kind of deplete its rainy day fund, it feels like probably before too terribly much longer, you got to do a pretty major update to Vault Hemingway Stadium, I think. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. With you on Sports Talk Mississippi Thursday afternoon, weekend just around the corner. Kind of a quiet week or weekend coming up for football in the state of Mississippi. Kind of. Big, big game for Southern Miss. I mean, if we're talking about the entire state, big game for Southern Miss. Mississippi State, first home night game of the season. Abilene Christian, Mississippi State, 6.30 at Davis Wade on Saturday night. Feel the excitement. I'm not laughing per se, but I am. Don't feel the bad. whole – no, no, the, the everybody wanted a night game, wanted a night game. They didn't necessarily want to wait till the you know the end of November to get a home night game. Now to be back-to-back yeah. home night games, do we have rain in the forecast for both night games for Mississippi State at the end of the year at home? I don't know off the top of my head, but that would be very fitting. There is rain in the distant forecast for the Egg Bowl. Here's a question for you. More people are at the Mississippi State-Abilene Christian game with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter or the next home women's basketball game. Hey, Dad, it's I will close. It's going to be close, I would say, the football game, but it'll be a lot closer than you think. Mm. Western Kentucky is at Southern Miss. Games on ESPN Plus. Kicks off at 2.30 at the Rock on Saturday afternoon. That is a huge game for Southern Miss. Trying to keep pace, and if UAB could get a win over Louisiana Tech – Combined with the win for Southern Miss over Western Kentucky, the Golden Eagles would be in first place in the Western Division of Conference USA and would have a chance to get themselves to the uh, CUSA Championship game, uh, which is a couple of weeks uh, away at this point. And obviously Ole Miss is off this weekend. Rippy, as you've talked to coaches, what's their opinion on this open date? this week do they really like having the open date leading into the egg bowl knowing that that's a short week coming up i mean they haven't really had very many strong opinions about it but i think they like the idea of getting everyone healthy this time of year and a couple extra days to game plan but i don't think any of them really mind that much either one way or another i mean every team has two bye weeks i guess it's just a matter of when yeah but in years past i mean it feels kind of traditionally like you've had Mississippi State playing Arkansas and Ole Miss playing LSU. It hasn't been like that every week, but a lot of years it feels like that's been it. Um, Hey, Dad, do, do you think that this is kind of the model we get going forward where either there is an open date or you have one of these group of five games, which is kind of what, it's what Alabama does before the Auburn game. It's what a lot of schools do at this point of the season. Yeah, and looking ahead to next year, uh, it's not that way for for both teams. Uh, well, I guess oh, yeah, it's it's a group of five game for Ole Miss. They'll have uh, 
Georgia Southern, which is that's no you know gimme game. They're, they're, they're a competent group of five team. State has a FCS team. They'll play Alabama A and M that week uh, before the Egg Bowl. So. You know, from the MSU perspective, I know that for a long time, you know, especially when Jackie Sherrill was here, he viewed Arkansas as sort of this this trap game because it was always between Alabama and Ole Miss. So to get a game that you can almost certainly pencil in as a win is probably a positive for Mississippi State right now. But at the same time, and we talked about this, uh, yeah, I think the other day after you had left, Richard, which is this week in the SEC, it's just it's it's not that it's bad; it's it's embarrassing. It's it's it just doesn't look right. So I don't know how that's going to look long term, but. I do think that both teams are better served by not playing a conference game before the uh, the uh, end of the season. Yeah, I mean, the the slate of games that we're talking about for the next to last weekend of the regular season across the SEC, we know about Georgia, Texas A&M. That's, that's compelling. Arkansas is at LSU. So in a year where Arkansas wasn't quite so bad, that would be a little more compelling. Tennessee is at Missouri. Both of those teams are 5-5. Five and five. So you've got several open dates, and then you've got Abilene Christian at Mississippi State, East Tennessee State at Vanderbilt, a battle of 3-8 and eight against 2-8. and eight. Uh, You have Samford at Auburn. Auburn did this a year ago as well. They played Liberty the week before the Iron Bowl. And you have Western Carolina, who is 3-8 on the year at Alabama. I mean... I would think that Alabama is probably thrilled about this game this year because they get to roll Mac Jones out there and kind of give him a warm-up before the Iron Bowl and maybe try to make him feel a little bit more comfortable. So, I mean, I get it from, you know, if you're a coach or you're an athletics director or you're a team looking for a win, great. If you're just somebody who likes watching good college football, then this is not necessarily the weekend that the SEC gives you the warm and fuzzies. College football fix coming your way next. Sports Talk Mississippi, 5 o'clock hour, just around the corner of the Renaissance Bank Studio. 5 o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Thursday afternoon, weekend just around the corner. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, maybe you're going to buy a new piece of property to enlarge the size of the farm. Maybe it's a production loan. Maybe you are uh, getting ready to buy new equipment, or maybe it's just refinancing an existing loan. Let Mississippi Land Bank be your partner, your financing partner. They will work with you. You will enjoy working with them because they're fantastic people and they understand your business. They understand the farming business. They understand that it's changing and evolving, and it's got uh, lots of twists and turns, and you have specific needs. Mississippi Land Bank can be your partner in that if you're in North Mississippi. Check them out online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. I'm sure you guys talked about this a little bit in the uh, the 3 o'clock hour uh, Miles Garrett's suspension upheld after appeal by the NFL and upheld in that it is an indefinite suspension that is at minimum for the remainder of this season. Kind of a weird twist in this story where a week after the incident, you've got Miles Garrett coming back and claiming that Mason Rudolph uh, uttered a racial slur to him uh, prior to the incident happening, which 
seemed like it was a little hard to believe Borky in the first place because why would you wait a week if that actually happened? And then the NFL followed up by saying uh, quarterbacks are mic'd up in our league, and we went back and we reviewed the audio, and it's not there. Yeah, you knew. I mean, of course, when a story like this comes out, um, it's kind of shocking because that kind of stuff does still happen in some capacity, and you just hate when it does. But very shortly thereafter, the initial story came out from the appeals hearing. Uh, Steelers and Browns practices were ending, and in the NFL, media gets whoever they want. After practice, they're in the locker room with them. Open locker rooms, right. And they went straight to, I mean, Brown's defensive lineman and asked, hey, did you, is this why? Like, did you know this? And their responses, I mean, they were surprised. They were like, no, this is the first time we've heard of that. And that's when you knew that there was something fishy. Yeah. Marquise Pouncey's suspension was reduced from three games to two. I still didn't love his suspension. I like the guy going to stick up for his quarterback. Just got clubbed in the head with a helmet. Yeah, sorry I kicked him. Deal with it. You want to find me a little bit? Fine. And it sounds like Mason Rudolph is going to get a fine, and some of these other guys are as well. But uh, that, did Mike? Did did Miles Garrett? Hey, Dad, in your mind, did did Miles Garrett make? his plight for getting back into the NFL for the start of next season more difficult today by throwing out this accusation against Rudolph? If we can't prove it, yeah, for sure. Well, the NFL's already said they've investigated and there's no evidence to support his claim. Well, then yes. The answer is yes. Rippy, do you think that has an effect on when the NFL lifts his suspension and allows him to come back? I'm not necessarily sure about that. I don't. I honestly don't know because I mean that's something so subjective that he could still say it happened even if there was no evidence to suggest it. Like, I mean, what are the odds the microphone doesn't pick that up? Probably very little. I Borky notified me the three o'clock. I didn't know quarterbacks were all mic'd up uh, throughout a game, no matter what. Like I thought that was a special occasion thing because you had the Darnold thing that ESPN did and the Jets weren't happy about. But and now it makes sense with all the NFL film stuff. So. I don't know. It makes him less likable than the incident itself. Like, whatever, guy lost his mind for a brief second, had a bad moment, everybody makes mistakes. But then, like, trying to throw a Hail Mary and ruin someone else's credibility in the process, to me, makes him more unlikable than the actual incident. Or less likable, uh, whatever it's. Yeah, and I'm paraphrasing here. I just saw this on uh, on SportsCenter a second ago that the attorney, uh, let's see, Mason Rudolph's attorney issued a statement that basically said, the unfounded allegations that are completely fabricated today are more hurtful than the physical attack, or yeah, are yeah, more detrimental than the physical attack that happened on the field last Thursday night. And and I mean, I guess it makes sense probably for Mason Rudolph to have that statement come for his attorney. But I almost would like Mason Rudolph the first time he heard that to go. That is complete and utter BS. Miles Garrett made that up to make himself look better. This is fabricated. It never happened. And it's really sad that a guy who not only lost his mind on the field physically, now is trying to make himself look better. 
I'm talking about like the strongest worded statement that you could possibly issue where you unequivocally say Miles Garrett is a liar. I have tried to give him the benefit of the doubt and take the high road in this stuff since it happened last Thursday night. But now in addition to the fact that he clubbed me in the head with a football helmet, he is a liar. And I will not allow my integrity to be attacked in this way. Why is my, why is Mason Rudolph's attorney making statements for an on-field fight? That that's very bizarre. That is, why is that necessary? Yeah, to make sure that it gets said the way that it's supposed to get said. Yeah, if somebody I, levies a, an accusation like that against you, probably best to. And it could very well be a guy that like the team keeps on retainer. Somebody that works with Steelers players that, if hey, if you get into some stuff, we've got this attorney that they do that with. Uh, they have real estate agents on retainer. So I, I imagine that somebody that's connected with the team somehow. And if if somebody charges me with something like that, I, I would reach out to someone. I mean, that's an accusation that follows you for life. Even if it gets disproven completely, if you Google Mason Rudolph, Called Miles Garrett, racial slur will come up. For life. Forever. Forever. We owe you the college football fix, so let's do that right now. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can also test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Great end-of-the-year savings going on at Ford. We didn't really get into this yesterday. The new poll, the college football playoff poll, came out. LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4. This is a couple of days old at this point. You've got Bama at 5, Oregon at Utah, and Utah at 6 and 7, Penn State at 8, Oklahoma 9, Minnesota 10. Um, a question about Oregon. George Schroeder from USA Today wrote a, uh, a story about this. Rob Mullins, who is the athletics director at Oregon, is the chair of the college football playoff committee. I noticed yesterday that uh, Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon were debating this and talking about it. And Kornheiser was trying to create this conspiracy that, you know, how can you do this without there being the look of impropriety when the school that he is the AD for is in the mix. Oh, Feinbaum did the same thing. I'm pulling up the quotes right now because I I didn't hear it myself because I value my sanity. I frankly don't know if I trust this guy being in charge. I don't trust him because he's not honest, and I think he has an influence. That was Feinbaum. He's not honest. You want me to back that claim up? Maybe, Maybe there's something personally there that has happened. But let's just play this out for a second. Let's say Oregon wins their final two. They win the Pac-12 championship game. Is anybody going to look and go, you know, Rob Mullins was the chair of the selection committee, and he gave preferential treatment to Oregon? Well, first of all, he wasn't in the room. But I I, I will go with you beyond the argument of, yeah, but he's there. And their relationships. And there's a lot of money at stake. I understand all those things. But just automatically assuming that 
you've got impropriety or the appearance of impropriety, it's not giving much people much of a benefit of the doubt. So, so I mean, what are you going to argue? Well, Oregon, as a one-loss Pac-12 team, because with two weeks to play in the regular season, they were one spot behind Alabama. They still should have been behind Alabama. I mean, what's the argument you're looking at here? That they should be behind Alabama? Who didn't win its division, didn't go to the championship game, and has one fewer win? And really no good wins on its resume? I mean, the only thing potentially that you can argue is Oregon or Utah against Oklahoma. Unless things go crazy and Penn State beats Ohio State and Georgia beats LSU and Clemson has a lot. I mean, outside of chaos, this isn't really that hard, is it? It doesn't feel like this should be that hard this year based on what lies in front of us. Again, unless you get into a chaos situation. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. That's your college football fix. Talk Mississippi with you Thursday afternoon. Got the whole crew. Orky, Hey Dad, Rippy, spread out all over the place. Rippy's in Oxford, Hey Dad's in Starkville, Borky's in Jackson, and I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. So uh, all over the place. Don't forget the ceasefire text line is open to you 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. Some digging into numbers and I don't know if these are numbers that necessarily tell you anything or not all of these pulled from the college football stats website and they are scoring margin numbers so we'll, we'll look at these for Ole Miss and Mississippi State and there certainly is a trend that you can look at for both the Bulldogs and the Rebels. For Mississippi State, there's one outlier. But I don't know if it's a trend that really means anything or not. So taking a look at common opponents from this year's schedule and last year's schedule, for Mississippi State and for Ole Miss, looking at score differential and then the score differential from last year to this year. Hey, Dad, are you with me so far? Does that all make sense? Yes. All right, so Mississippi State, in each of the last two seasons, in non-conference games, has played Louisiana Lafayette and Kansas State. In 2018, won against Lafayette by 46. This year, won by 10. Kansas State, on the road in 2018, uh, won that game. This year, lost the game. Kentucky, lost two years ago in Lexington, this year won in Starkville. Lost by 21, won by 15. And so in that particular game, that's the outlier that you've got in this. Mm -hmm. Auburn, 14-point win, 33-point loss. LSU, 
16-point loss a year ago, 23-point loss. A&M, 15-point win, 19-point loss. Alabama, 24-31, a loss both times. Arkansas, the difference, a 46-point win versus a 30-point win. So, I know that was a bunch of numbers. Outside of Kentucky, margin of victory, whether it was a win and a win, a loss and a loss, or a win to a loss, is down against every common opponent year over year. 36-point difference against UL, uh, uh, Louisiana. 28-point difference against Kansas State. 47-point difference against Auburn. That was win to a loss. Two losses against LSU, seven-point difference. Alabama, 34-point difference. I'm sorry, A&M, because that was win to a loss. Alabama, seven points worse. Arkansas, 16 points worse. Do those numbers tell a story to you that is important or that matters? I mean, it's pretty obvious that State's not as good as it was a year ago. I think those numbers bear that out. The eye test bears that out. Basically, any analytic you want to look at bears that out. So this would just be another category there? This would just be another piece of evidence, yeah. Um, from the other side, it, it didn't it just show how close they are, but close doesn't mean anything. But how close they've come. I mean, they, Ole Miss sits at four and seven right now. They have not beaten anybody of consequence. In fact, their wins are against a coach that was fired, a coach that it was breaking news that he's coming back, an FCS team that they struggled with. <laughs> and um, maybe the worst team in Power 5, who got their first win of the year on Saturday, by the way, against Incarnate Word. So, yeah, so unless you win, so it doesn't mean anything, side. but they are right there. On the Ole Miss side of thing, there were no common non-conference opponents year over year, so it's all SEC opponents. Ole Miss was 27 points better against Alabama, 8 points better against LSU, 10 better against Arkansas, both in wins, 9 better against Auburn, both in losses, 7 better against Texas A&M, both in losses, 25 better in uh, against Vandy in a win this year versus a loss last year. But again, Rippy, to Borky's point, does it really matter if the end result is still losses, whether they're close losses, competitive losses, good losses, bad losses, they're still losses, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're paid seven figures to trim deficits. <laughs> is it an indicator, though? I, I mean, if, if Haydad says, okay, it's just another metric for Mississippi State as part of a bunch of different metrics that indicate the team has not played well this year. I think they're improving. Ole Miss is? Yeah. I mean, they've been in a game against Auburn. They were in a game against – I mean, they were somewhat in the game against LSU for a short stretch. But, like, again, you got to show results. Because there are – because what this is not including is games that they very much could have and in some cases you argue should have won and didn't get it done. Cal, Memphis, Texas A&M, what have you. Yeah. So that's fine, so and games are not supposed to win if they're trimming the margin, but you got to win a couple games that are toss-ups, and they're not doing that. Hey, Dan, I feel like in some ways 
this would fall into the conversation and, and your opinion about Will Muschamp. But because you, you, your thing with Muschamp over and over was, yeah, but it's trending in the wrong direction. Right. I mean, there, there was a lot of yeah, but to that conversation that we had with you. Mm-hmm. So do you make decisions about the future of coaches based on trends over a relatively short period of time? I mean, a two-year window is it's pretty short in this world that we're living in. It is. It is. and But the thing is, though, with as much money that is wrapped up in college football, and it goes beyond with the universities themselves. I mean, drive around Starkville and Oxford and how much real estate is going up. Those can't afford to – nobody can afford for those to sit empty. Business owners can't afford for people not to come to Oxford and Starkville because the football You're darn right about that. Yeah, I know. So uh, shop no, it up. No, I, I'm not Ooh, being flippant. I mean, obviously my, no, no, my I know, wife I know owns you. A, a women's clothing no. store. I just – I'm more hyper aware of that. Right. I mean, I've always live in the heard people talk you, about – yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So. So, so you don't have, this isn't, people like to make the Frank Beamer comment all the time. This is not the 80s. Nobody's going to give a coach eight, nine years to get things rolling in the right direction. And if you feel like it's trending down and you don't feel like it's going to trend back up, sometimes you just have to make that move and bite the bullet. And it's a risk. It's a risk. It, there's never going to be a sure thing most times, you know. State's not hiring Dabo. They're not hiring Saban. But if you feel like it's trending down and you, and you don't feel like Joe Moorhead's the guy or Will Muschamp's the guy or whoever's the guy, you, you have to make that move. It's it's better to to end it and try to move forward than it is to suffer through another year in some some circumstances. On the flip side, though, there also has to be some middle ground between patience and the Frank Beamer eight nine years thing, and then just racking up buyout after buyout after two and a yeah, half to right. three years. You're, like you're somewhere in this that. whole trend has to middle out, and I guess it depends yeah. on the situation. But like I think we've the scales have tipped too far the other way in general. I'm not necessarily saying with State or anyone else's case. Like Chad Morris probably had to make that call that he lost to San Jose State by a yeah. lot. So like I don't know. I feel like there's going to eventually be some middle ground because ads seem to be figuring out that hey, this stuff isn't built overnight. So you got to have some patience. There just has to be some results along the way to point to. And like Morris didn't have any of that. Right. I mean San Jose State's about- a bad bad like. Like group of five program, yes. And Western Kentucky is not great either. I uh, I talked about this on the podcast yesterday, talking about Moorhead if he, if he does get another season in Starkville, which I think he will. But is it next year? The, the the rallying cry has to be: you have to win a game you weren't expected to win. Moorhead's problem thus far is he's been losing games that you would expect to win. So if next year, if you win the games you can sort of expect to win, and I don't know what those games are for Mississippi State just yet. But you got to find a way to knock somebody off like Texas A&M or Auburn or, or something like that, that that nobody's really counting as a win right now to get people back in your corner. You know, you, you've, you've built up so much into the negative, you've got to get some positives going, and winning a game you don't expect to win is doing that. Moorhead hasn't done that yet. And that, like I said, he's done the, the opposite, which is he has lost games he was expected to win. That is, that's a killer. And, and that's the one thing, more than anything else, that's the one thing that Dan Mullen did not do. Right, he did it once. He did it in 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 2016. But by that point, he had so much credit built up, he was able to survive all that. Moorhead never got any credit because he underachieved in year one, losing games people thought he should win. Jason and Flagstaff, Arizona says State won over Kentucky this year. The first game after their starting quarterback had his leg broken off. They hadn't fan, found their Antoine Randall L yet. <laughs> Ed and Brookhaven, are y'all saying MSU and Ole Miss programs are going downhill? 
Well, I, mean, I don't think we're saying that about Ole Miss. I mean, the, the numbers from what we were talking about actually show the opposite with regard to Ole Miss. Yeah. Just getting an Ole Miss fan to agree with you about that seems to be a little bit of a challenge. A little longer with you on this Thursday afternoon. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Rippy, I will defer to you on this. Hypothetically, if Ole Miss had its new athletics director position filled, would Matt Luke be coming back next season? Yes. I agree. Most likely. And More I, of a financial issue than anything else. Yeah, I, I was going to say that exactly as well. I think as much as anything, it's a financial issue. And to a conversation that has, has kind of evolved over the course of a couple of days, we've had it some today, we talked about it some yesterday, a patient's culture versus a do-it-right-now culture, right now, right now, right now, right now. It seems like athletics directors, and I guess university presidents to a certain extent as well, are a little less prone to the snap, immediate, have-to-do-it-right-now decision. They're a little better at taking more of a long-range view. Yeah, Luke's a little different case to gauge because where what program would be he be the head coach of if he had not gotten the Ole Miss job as of this moment in 2019? Well, probably not one, but if, if he was a head coach of a program and didn't have the Ole Miss job, it would be a group of five jobs somewhere. Sure. But, yeah, I don't know. His case is just a little more unique to evaluate. And the, well, the financial side, though, is interesting to me because well, – and the Egg Bowl could change things a little bit, but let's pretend just for the sake of it that they lose the Egg Bowl and finish 4-8. and eight. Why would Ole Miss be in a better financial situation after next season than they're in right now? Because, because instead of owing twelve to fifteen million dollars in buyout money, it would go down. So they're not going to roll over that contract. Well, they're certainly not rolling over assistant coach contracts, and I don't know the answer to that. My guess is I, I don't know. I just I'm not afraid because it doesn't matter to me. But if if they lose that egg bowl. I mean, they're not matching this season's already low season ticket sales. I mean, again, this season was the least attended there in 18 years. Yeah. Uh, so, but again, if they win and, and, you know, you put Plumlee in front of all the media people, you could... It, this game means a lot. It's not the end-all, be-all, but I think, I think it means a lot, obviously, for both programs, but just moving forward financially not just where you can you know put the trophy in the passenger seat of your car and take cute pictures on twitter while you go recruiting like the finances that come with winning this game versus losing this game with season ticket sales i mean program donations stuff like that moving forward for both programs it means a lot more than just bragging rights and keeping people's identity alive for the next 365 days Question on the ceasefire text line, completely unrelated to this conversation. What time does Mississippi State play Villanova tomorrow? 1.30 Central. Central time, 
and it's on ESPN2 if you would like to watch it. Which I will. Hey, uh, Borky, I'll be about you know 30 minutes later or so tomorrow. That's fine. Rippy and I will talk phone. about aliens and stuff. Yeah, that'll be fine. We'll recap the Pelican-Suns game tonight for the first half hour of tomorrow's show. Ooh. Suns are I struggling without ratings. Here's a uh, text message. The effort Matt Luke has Ole Miss putting out is trending up year over year. That's And that is one thing that you noticed in the LSU game. Above, you know, beyond the Plumlee running and stuff is that even through all the losses, that dude's teams do not quit on him. I think you did that after 2017, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But they very after, well after could that have. Arkansas game that they that what was it 37 to 14, and they ended up losing. I remember thinking, "Gosh, they're about to just tap out." And then the next week, they went up to Kentucky and won, and and you know took it from there. So yeah, I mean, they very well could have quit on out. Saturday. I mean, they could have yeah. come out of the halftime locker room and laid down and there's not a single person that would have questioned them it's a year where they're losing games at at least a couple games they probably should have won it's you know they're getting smoked by lsu at home there's empty seats every you know everybody's miserable they could have easily just laid down and they didn't and that is a credit to their head coach mike oresco is the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. And he is fit to be tied right now about how the American is treated, how they are treated unfairly by the college football playoff selection committee. He says that his conference, there is a double standard that is used not just when measured against Power 5 conferences, but also against other Group of 5 leagues. And he goes after Appalachian State. Here was Mike Oresco yesterday. Each time I've watched the release of the rankings, I've seen an unfortunate predictability. And why wouldn't I be upset? I'm not criticizing the committee personally. I've never done that. What I'm doing is trying to take the committee to task on their methodology and their conclusions. I want to point out the facts. My feeling is this conference has been undervalued and disrespected since the college football playoff began. We've been fighting what I think is a Power 5 preference. We've been fighting it for years, and we're fighting now a double standard when it comes to evaluating group of five teams. Bill Hancock, who is the executive director of the college football playoff, responded, Certainly, I feel that everyone is entitled to his or her opinion. <laughs> it's the most Bill Hancock response quote ever. He's such a All nice right. guy, but he's got that little savage, like, knife-stabbing one-liner he's in like, him. What a, it's absolutely a whatever, dude. All right, so, so let me throw it out there to you guys. American Athletic Conference. Unfairly evaluated or evaluated properly and unwilling to know their place it's the latter it, it, even though it's not fair it's the latter they're evaluated absolutely properly yeah. i hate the, the term know your place but yes the, well i know i just decided that i was going to be really strong with my wording there oh i get it yeah i mean it, they are not in the same league as the other conferences they're, they're not a good conference this year 
Memphis is 18, Cincinnati is 19. Those are the two teams from the American that are currently in the college football playoff top 25. Isn't that more than the ACC? It is. True statement. I don't know if you can go after App State if you're him, though. I mean, who in your league has two Power 5 wins? Two Power 5 wins, yeah. Cincinnati's best win is against Central Florida. Memphis's best win is against Ole Miss. I mean, who has better wins than 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 App State in that conversation? And Appalachian State is number twenty-four, ranked behind them. Yeah, I guess my here, here here's my question: So Memphis at eighteen, Cincinnati at nineteen. Where does Mike Oresco believe that they should be ranked? They both have a loss. The loss that Cincinnati has was loud and convincing to Ohio State in week two. And Memphis has a loss to, who was it? Temple? Yeah. Lost on the road to Temple. So where should they be ranked? Should they be those those are both one loss American teams. Should they be ranked ahead of Michigan? Alabama should be ranked ahead of them. Well, it sounds like team. more of his gripe is at more teams not being ranked. Like wasn't he upset with the treatment of SMU? They're nine and one and the only loss is to Memphis and they're not ranked. Who have they beaten though? And you could you could very easily say, "Oh, Richard, that's an Alabama argument as well. Who's Alabama beaten? What? Well, I mean, don't we have to use our brains and our eyes in this process also? Sure, but there are not a lot of Power Five programs lining up to schedule teams like this. Kind of like Ole Miss people say they shouldn't play Memphis because they're a pain in the side and they're better than most group of five conferences. So you're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. I don't necessarily put the scheduling thing on them as much as anything else. And SMU beat TCU. And beat Temple when they were ranked. That's a good win. A couple of good wins. SMU's ranked 25th. So you in the have playoff? three in the college football playoff poll, right? I thought he was SMU. upset with. I thought he was upset with the way SMU was treated. They are ranked twenty-five behind App State, which is why I guess he was attacking App State. Okay, I, I think his point was that SMU should be in front of App State. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.